James chapter 5, and we'll be in verses 1 through 6 this morning. And as you're turning there, and as you reflect on what we've seen in the letter of James, the question comes to you and I today is, are you rich? Are you wealthy? When you look at the statistics of our world, and specifically the United States of America, we are the wealthiest people in the world. Even those who are in the category of poverty in the United States of America have more than the rest of the majority of the world. And you might say, well, I have nothing. Well, that's a good thing, as you'll see as James writes to those and gives a warning to the rich. In the Word of God... This week, looking through it, there are well over 2,000 verses on just money and wealth and riches and treasures. So the Word of God has a lot to say about wealth, a lot to say about money, a lot to say about what we own. Many of Jesus' parables in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, Jesus deals with wealth and riches and money and treasures. And therefore, if God's Word draws a lot of attention to this, you and I as well must turn to the truths of God's Word and pay attention to it. As you read this today, you might think, well, I don't fall in that category. You need to know that the warning that James gives to the rich is a warning to all who maybe you don't count yourself as rich or wealthy, but maybe your heart desires it. And so there's a warning for all this morning as we read the Word of God Know this as we approach this, that Scripture uh, addresses money and wealth, uh, never, n- not, never in the sense by how much money, but by what one does with it. And it constantly reminds us that anything and everything that you own, anything and everything that you have, has been given to you by the Lord God Almighty, who owns it all, because He is the one who has created it all. So know that however great or small the resources that you have, God has granted it to you. And the scriptural truth we see from James chapter 5 is this. Guard your heart from the pursuit of wealth and be a good steward of all the Lord has entrusted to you. Look with me at James chapter 5 verses 1 through 6 this morning. He writes, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you, the word of God. I've prayed for you and prayed for myself this week that our hearts, as we would hear the word of God, that uh, this is always a tough subject for any who think about wealth. And I believe it's a great temptation as we'll look at what it means to covet wealth and riches. And so again, would you pray with me that God would guard our hearts this morning and work upon it. Father, we ask that you would now reveal to us the truths of our hearts, the desires for pleasure in life, the pursuit of wealth, and Father, would you help us to lay that all down before you 
and to trust you with all of our life. For you are our great provider. Again, we ask a blessing on the reading and the preaching of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this text this morning, there's a warning to the rich. And then also there's four accusations which follow to those who are rich, according to James as he writes this. Again, he wrote this to Christians, and we saw from the beginning of the book, he was writing to the Christians about the trials that they go through in life, and he said to count it all joy, and we saw in that in the last two chapters the difference between living in worldly wisdom and living in godly wisdom, and therefore we come to this truth that may seem like, well, it doesn't fit here, and it completely fits throughout this letter, and God tells us to watch our hearts as he gives a warning warning to the rich of misery to come. You may ask the question, well, who are the rich that he's writing to? In verse 4, it says that he's writing to the landowners. Are they Christians or are they non-Christians? Many would say that he's writing to the non-Christian wealthy landowners at that time who would abuse those who were the righteous workers in that. And they would say, well, the non-Christians would have never had this letter. They would have not sat down to read it, so it's written to them. At the same time, though, it is a warning even for a believer who is wealthy or rich, and at the same time, those who would not count themselves wealthy or rich, but you may have in your heart's desire to pursue that. Therefore, either way, this is a serious warning for all who are rich and for all who would desire to be rich and wealthy. Look at verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Again, I would remind you that James is not judging the rich for having wealth. Again, it is not wrong to have those wealth and riches, but the way that a person goes about it or desires it or uses it can be sin, which he addresses in the accusations. He is giving all of the rich a very strong warning against coveting riches and wealth. We'll look at that more in just a moment. And that coveting is breaking God's law and living in sin. The book of Proverbs, which we have spent time also as we've read James in the last few uh, weeks together, uh, has a lot of wisdom for us in all areas of life. And Proverbs 11, 28 says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. To think about how many people in the world put all of their trust in the riches and the wealth and the possessions that they have. And Proverbs says, as you do that, a fall is coming ahead of you. In Psalm chapter 52, verse 7, the psalmist writes, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. We will see that as there is the warning and as this accusations, the miseries which he's talking of to come to them are what the rich will face on the day of judgment when they stand before the throne of Christ and he judges them for their life. The misery is not just the miseries and the troubles of life that all of us face, but it is the misery of the day of the Lord and being judged for one who has these accusations brought against them for pursuing only wealth and riches in their life. Let us then look, for, look to verses 2 through 6, the four accusations against the rich. 
There are four accusations that he brings, and he calls them hoarders. He calls them cheaters. He calls them self-indulgent people, and he calls them murderers. Four accusations, which you may first read and go, oh, wow, those people. Watch your heart this morning. Examine your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what it is that you desire in life. Is it Jesus Christ, or is it the riches and wealth of the world? Some of you maybe have visited it before or seen pictures of it, but on the central coast of California, there's a place called Hearst Castle, a place which is this, on the top of this hill, a guy named William Randolph Hearst. He spent 28 years of his life building. He spent then what the equivalent today would be of approximately $170 million in which he had this castle, this house, this mansion, this place built, and he brought art in from all around the world. The main house had 38 bedrooms and 42 bathrooms. It had a private movie theater. It had a humongous billiards and entertainment room. An amazing library filled with a huge collection of literature. He also had a great zoo. He had grizzly bears, lions, tigers, leopards, jaguars, cougars, chimpanzees, orangutans, monkeys, and an elephant. He planted over 70,000 trees. I don't know if that's offset his carbon footprint or what. But this guy invested money to accumulate wealth. And when you read about his life, he went to his death in a sad life with nothing to leave behind him other than his five sons and money. James writes to the rich in verses 2 and 3 in the first accusation. He says, don't be a hoarder like William Randolph Hearst hoarding all kinds of treasures for himself to build this empire. He warns the believers. He warns the unbelievers. Do not pursue wealth and hoard it. Do not hoard food. Do not hoard um, cars, homes, clothing, money, gold, silver, whatever, because in the world's eye, that is a great thing to have, but in the Lord's eyes, it is foolishness, it is futile, and it is a life filled with worthless pursuit of the things of this world. Now, there is nothing wrong with wise planning. We have all kinds of scripture which teaches us to be wise with what God has given to us. You are to be a good steward of everything that God has given you, not just wealth, but your gifts, your strengths, your abilities, everything that God has given you. Know this, as a Christian, You are to steward it well, because you will also give an account before Christ of how you stewarded what he has given you. At the same time, you are not to live like the unrighteous and hoard all of the riches and wealth to yourself, because food rots, clothes wear out, and are eaten by moths. Last night, our family was talking about this passage, and we were talking about what I brought up last week, that in high school, uh, having a letterman's jacket was very valuable. And I remember getting this and, and going, you know, I could not wait to have it. And I talked last week about a classmate who had so many medals and things hanging on that he clinked as he walked, and it looked like he was weighed down. But to me, it was like a great, valuable treasure as a sophomore in high school to be able to have have the letterman's jacket. 
And my wife got hers out and showed our kids last night. And I don't even know where mine is because years after I graduated and after I, from college, and, and, and my wife and I got married, we were visiting, and my mom brought out a box of things, and then there was the letterman's jacket in the uh, jacket bag. And I was like, yes, my letterman's jacket. And I, as I unzipped it, literally a metal falls off that had rotted off of the little thing, and I see holes in it where moths had eaten it. And my joy went like from this to just like, what? This valuable treasure is moth-eaten now. That's probably why I don't know where it even is to this day. Probably in a box somewhere rotten away. But isn't it in this world so tempting to pursue great wealth and riches and treasures in this world and put all of our energy, all of our time, all of our thoughts in how to get more of it? It's a temptation for every single one of us. And he tells the rich people here, you have rotted garment, rot, you, your riches have rotted, verse 2, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and you will eat your flesh like fire. Again, you've probably seen it all this week or heard it from the radio to the internet to whatever shows you watch. This world promotes every day, all day, every minute that you need to pursue the treasures of this world. Am I right? I mean, this world is good at showing you and enticing you. If I could just get that, if I could just get ahead, if I could just win the lottery, if I could just do all these things, then I'll have that, and then I can do these things for who? God. I mean, isn't that really the lie that many of us as Christians tell ourselves? If I just had this, I'll do more for you, Lord. And he's like, no, I'm not going to give that to you. I want you to do now for me what I've given you. Be faithful in that. And if you're faithful in a little, you'll be faithful in much. But he tells the riches, hey, all the things that you have will be evidence against you on the day that you stand before the Lord, the day of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, I believe every single week I've pointed you back to a passage from Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 where Jesus, from the Sermon on the Mount, preaches the same things which James is laying out for the church as he writes in the, in the letter that James has written. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on where? Earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in where? Heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where, listen to this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Church, where is your heart today? What is your treasure? Is it everything that you own? Or is your treasure Jesus Christ? A serious question you should ask yourself and evaluate what you are pursuing in your life. And he goes on in verse 24 to say, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So again, evaluate your heart is your heart's pursuit after the things of this world which the world values or is your pursuit Jesus Christ seeking his kingdom and his righteousness and all those things will be added to you 
These are valid questions that each and every one of us must ask this morning. In verse 3, back in James, he says, You have laid up treasures in, treasure in the last days. This last week, one of the men's studies that I was in in the morning, we were looking at the word the last day or the last days. And that, that is a reference to specifically the return of Christ in all of his glory. And he will set up his throne and he will judge and he will send all those who rejected Jesus Christ into hell for eternity. The wrath of God the Father upon them forever. And all of his saints, all of his children who he has adopted himself will be ushered into his kingdom kingdom, a new heavens and a new earth, and be in the presence of Christ for eternity with no more sin, everlasting joy, ever growing for all eternity. Here the warning, verse 3, is for those who've laid up treasure in the last days. Jesus said when he walked the earth, these were the last days. We are not waiting for the last days to come. We have been in the last days since Jesus Christ has set foot on the earth and he died on the cross and he rose again and he's ascended to heaven. So we are waiting at any moment in the next second Jesus could return. Turn to Luke chapter 12. And so as we wait for the return of Christ, we live this earth and this earthly life knowing this is temporary. Your life is very short. 70, 80, 90, even 100 years may seem like a, a long time for a human, but it is very short in the scheme of time and eternity. Your life is temporary, and therefore you and I are called to live as if it's temporary here on this earth and look forward to Christ's return and being with Him. Last week in Luke chapter 12, we reread of the story of the rich fool in which Jesus Christ said of the man who had all kinds of wealth and riches, tore down all of his barns and built bigger ones just so he could fill them out. And he was said he could eat and drink and be merry. And, and Jesus says, God said, you fool, tonight your life is being taken from you. And all that wealth that he accumulated, where did it went? go? Because you can't take it with you. Yet it's foolishness when you see the things that people are buried in, buried with, things that they try to hide, thinking that they will have this in the afterlife. Just look at the tombs of Pharaoh in which they were buried in those places in Egypt, thinking that what was buried in the tomb was with them, was going to be with them in afterlife. Those are lies of the world. Don't believe those things and do not pursue them. In Luke chapter 12, Following that, in verses 22 through 34, Jesus says, don't have anxiety. Some of you say, well, that's easier said than done. You are not to have anxiety. It says, basically, for those who trust in our Heavenly Father, there will not be anxiety because we know and believe the truth that He is, that we were just singing, been so good to me. He's been faithful, as the psalm writes over and over, that He provides for anything and everything. That in there that he writes in Luke chapter 12, the ravens don't have storehouses and God feeds them. To think that when, when Christ writes in Sermon on the Mount that your life is more valuable than sparrows and birds, he provides for all of it. And so you should not have anxiety. 
But yet, anxiety is real. And I would say if you're having anxiety about what you have or don't have in life, you need to do a heart check. And you need to see what is it that I am pursuing that I think I need or that I can't get through and I need to turn and trust in the Lord God Almighty. There in Luke 12, verses 35 through 48, Jesus says you need to live this temporary life today ready. Keep your lamp burning, looking up for the return of Christ because he will come like a thief in the night and will he find you pursuing the riches and wealth of this world or will he find you a faithful steward and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Look at Luke 12, verses 33 through 34. Actually, I'll start in verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. What would it be like for the body of Christ to look out, about, look out across the body of Christ and know that no one had any need because we took care of one another. To think that we would dare go through our closets, go through our garages, go through our storehouses, go through all the stuff that we own, things we haven't used for years, and dare sell them or dare give them to someone else. So that in a sense, when we stand before the Lord, we don't have storehouses filled with an abundance of rotting, corroding things. And the body of Christ is supported and cared for. In the first few chapters of Acts, you read in a number of passages in which it says that the body of Christ, that none of them had a need. Acts chapter 2 verse 45 says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And I'm telling you, this is controversial for Christians. No, I don't want to get rid of my stuff. I've worked so hard all my life. I get to retire now, and now I get to rest. No, your rest is in heaven. Your rest is not here. Therefore, pray. If it's something that you're holding so tightly to that you could never give up, then that's the thing you need to pray and say, Lord, should I give that over? Should I get rid of that? Should I sell that and see and the need of those? Because, again, what I said this last week, and some people went crazy about it and said things to me this week, but I'm like, what if uh, six months from now or a year from now, there's a humongous financial collapse and majority of this room is in need? Will the church, through the work of God in your life, provide for one another? Again, I know I'll hear about it later. But that's okay. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Lord willing, we will meet here a year from now and worship him. Lord willing, we will go and do this and that as we saw in James last week. But would you dare pray and say, Lord, are there treasures in this world that my heart is so drawn to, that I am coveting, that I'm holding on to, that there's no way I could ever get rid of it so that I could serve the body of Christ? It's a valid question for you to ask and for me to ask. Well, he accuses them first of being hoarders gathering riches to themselves. But look at verse 4. The second accusation to the rich is he calls them cheaters. 
The question really is, how easily does cheating become when you get a taste of wealth? If you don't know, just play the game Monopoly. You can ask my sister. We talk about this. We always accuse each other that we used to cheat in Monopoly. I was like, I never cheated. She's like, you hid money underneath the board when you set it up so you could pull out money at a separate time to make sure you could buy Park Place. Well, now they have a game which my sister and I, ironically, bought for each other at Christmas two years ago called Cheater's Monopoly. We had no idea. The same Christmas, we were accusing each other of cheating at Monopoly, and we buy Cheater's Monopoly. And the whole goal of Cheater's Monopoly is to cheat the other person out. Like when they're not looking, steal some of their money. And if you roll the dice next, ah, I stole your money. To do this and that. I mean, it's crazy that they have Cheater's Monopoly. But I'm like, what a great summation of this world and pursuing riches. We hoard things, and then we cheat people. Look at verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed, which means to reap or harvest their land, their field, your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. You see, these rich landowners are ripping off the people who are working for them. Whether they were not paying them everything they promised, not paying them on time, whatever it may be, he accuses them, says you're cheating the people of what is due them. Do you, know, you want to know what God's heart is? Turn to Deuteronomy 24. This is one of a handful of passages in which God gives His people, the nation of Israel, how you are to treat one another, specifically in regards to riches and wealth and money. And here's what Luke, or I mean Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14 through 15 says. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor, and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns, you shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. God's heart is that he opposes the rich who abuse the poor. And we could go through a number of passages in which this is consistent with God's character. And James says, the cries of the workers, the harvesters, the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. If you've ever sung that song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, it says, Lord Sabaoth is name. It means the Lord of hosts, the Lord of Israel's armies, this wonderful title. And if he is the Lord of Israel's armies, the Lord of all, it says the cries of the harvesters who's being cheated, that he's heard their cries. And he's going to take care of the rich who are oppressing the poor. <clears throat> Therefore, as he James calls them cheaters. They will not get away for cheating others because God sees all. He knows all. God will punish all those who are rich that are pursuing this as pleasure and cheating others who are fraudulent people. Therefore, this should be a great encouragement for the people of God. That as you're oppressed by the rich of the world, God who is our Heavenly Father, who is a just, righteous, and holy God, will uphold His justice 
And you may cry out like King David did in the Psalms. Why do the enemies, why do these people have this and that? And yet God is just and he will hold all accountable to how they have broken his law. And even the rich who oppresses the poor will stand before and be the Lord and be judged. God is a faithful, faithful father who always provides for the needs of his people. My grandfather, Herbert Vanderlucht, he lived to be 93 years old. He lived through the Great Depression, and I don't remember what grade it was that he quit school, but he was a young man while he was going to school and began to work as the Great Depression happened here in the United States of America. And his favorite passage of Scripture that he brought up a number of times in my lifetime growing up with him was Psalm 37, verse 25. It says, I have been young... And now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. What a glorious passage of Scripture that God the Father is going to take care of his people. There's not a question about that. You may think you need more. You may think, I just need this. God, why aren't you giving me this? I deserve this. And as a follower of Christ, you've forgotten that God has blessed you with already all spiritual blessings. Ephesians chapter 1. He's saved you. He's adopted you. He's made you His own. He's set before you an inheritance in heaven, as 1 Peter says, that is not perishing, is not fading away, it's not corroding, it's kept in heaven for you. Your joy is Christ. Your inheritance is Christ being with Him for eternity. So so when you feel like, God, I need more and I deserve it because I'm living a righteous life, you need to check your heart because that is selfishness. That is not humbling yourself. And that is worldly wisdom. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. You might say, well, I'm not a hoarder. I'm not a cheater. I'm not a bank robber. But how do you handle what you have when you do your taxes every year, when you deal with debt that you owe in this world? Do you cheat anyone out of what is due to them? The third accusation is that he calls them pleasure seekers in verse 5. Verse 5, he says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. There was a show in the 1980s. It was called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. It's like, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I'm Robin Leach, and today I'm going to tell you about all these rich people and how they live the good life. I, it's fascinating there was a show about that. That every week, there was four or five people, people are wealthy, Hollywood, people in this world, and they just showed you how they lived. And it said something in that intro line about like living, these, how these people live the good life. Again, they're seeking pleasure of this world and not seeking the pleasures come from the blessings of Jesus Christ. And so the third accusation, he says, you're self-indulgent, living up the lap of luxury, given to extravagant comfort, pursuing pleasure enjoyment. We call it hedonism. Check your heart. Are you self-indulgent? It's wrong because it's sinful, because it's breaking God's law. It is breaking the 10th commandment of coveting. 
The 10th commandment says you shall not covet, and it follows a whole list of things you shall not covet. And it's a heart issue that you desire to want those things that do not belong to you and that are not yours. And here, going to the extent of the rich that where they cheat and where they steal and where they even murder, as he says, so they can have those things. That coveting in our hearts is breaking all of God's law. And if you go back and read the Ten Commandments, you can see how all these things fall into that area. Your heart is deceptive. You might say, I don't envy the riches of this world. I pray that's true. But you should always check your heart to see if you do. Because I don't know about you, but there are things that are in this world when I see them, like, oh, I wish I had that. Oh, that would be great to have that. I would have more joy if I had these things. And that's really what the self-indulgent rich person does, is they indulge in the pleasures of this world. And it may not just be money, but all the things. Again, go back and read James 4, verses 1 through 4, pursuing the worldly things. And those passions for the things of this world is what leads us in a self-indulgent life. Read Luke chapter 16. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus in which Jesus speaks of this man who was rich and wealthy and every day he feasted and every day Lazarus would eat, was, was a poor beggar and would eat of the scraps that would come from this rich man and they both died. And the rich man went to Hades and, and Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom and the rich man was burning up in torment and he could see Lazarus and he called out to Abraham, send Lazarus to touch my tongue with water. And he's like, there's no way. You cannot cross that chasm. And he says, well then at least would you please send Lazarus or send someone to my brothers who are wealthy, these people, and tell them don't pursue the riches and wealth of this world. And he said, they have the law, they have the prophets, they have the word of God. Why would they believe someone if they're not going to believe God's word? And it's the same to you and I today. That's why we preach the gospel of Jesus. That's why we preach the word of God because God has given you everything for life and godliness. He's given you every single answer to all the questions about life in this world. And what you must do is pursue His word. Pursue Jesus Christ and He will guide you in all these things. His spirit will lead you in that and protect you from being self-indulgent. And He will protect you from seeking the pleasures of this world. And and as you do stumble in these things and seek out the passions, confess them before the Lord. For He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He says, you have lived, verse 5, James says, on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. In verse 5, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. This picture of fattening yourself like a cow, whether it's grain-fed or grass-fed at the end, the goal is to feed that cow and to get it fat and nice and juicy and great marbling in the meat so that you have some good food to eat. And he's like, the rich are like that. Just like the prophet Amos in chapter 4, verse 1, he calls the rich, you cows of Bashan or Bashan. You cows who are eating everything up and riches in this world. And if you think about cows, what do they do all day? They eat and they eat and they eat and they get fatter and they eat 
and they do not know about the great day that is coming, the great barbecue. (laughs) And as those cows are slaughtered, steaks and ribs and roast, and I'm hungry. (laughs) But as they do that, that's the description of all those who are self-indulgent in this world. He says, you're getting fat on the things and pleasures and passions of the riches and wealth of this world, and you will stand before the Lord and you will give an account on that day, just like the slaughtering of cattle. And so he tells them, again, four accusations. He says, you are hoarding, you are cheating, You are self-indulgent. And finally, in verse 6, he says, you are murderers. Like, wow, that's pretty harsh. But in this world, how many people have physically murdered people for wealth? How many people are in prisons around this world because they pursued wealth and murdered someone? Or how many of us have sinned against God and murdered others in our hearts, as Jesus said, because we hate someone, because they have more finances than me. God, I hate those people. Jesus says you hate someone, it's the same as murdering. So how many of us murdering others because we're jealous of the wealth and the riches that they have? Verse 6, he says, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Condemnation by a court of law. We already saw this earlier in James. James chapter 2, verse 6. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppose you and the ones who drag you into court? We already saw, and it says here again, talks about murdering the righteous person. James chapter 4, verse 2. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you saw that in chapter 4, we saw he was writing to the believers and how they were quarreling, fighting, all these things here. And so, yes, someone can physically murder someone for wealth, but also there is the murder that comes from your heart because your hatred for the wealth that another person has. The word murder there in verse 5, or six means to kill or to slay, to murder. Specifically here, a person for, the rich, for riches, for gaining more. But did you see verse six, though? It says, you have condemned and murdered the what type of person? The righteous person. And it says, he does not resist you. It says, the righteous person does not fight back or resist what the rich do to oppress them or here to murder them and it made me think of Jesus Christ he was condemned before a court an illegal one at that he was found guilty they in their eyes that he broke God's law he sinned he blasphemed they had false witnesses and so they condemned him to death and Jesus Christ was hung on a cross where he died, murdered, even though he gave up his life. And yet Jesus Christ, the righteous one, never resisted. And he gave himself. The one who said he had no place to lay his head did not resist when he was condemned falsely, wrongly. He did not resist when he was murdered Instead, Jesus laid down his life for his people. In John chapter 10, glorious chapter, 
of Jesus Christ telling us that he is the good shepherd. And he says this to his people in John chapter 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Jesus Christ is the example that all of us should look to and follow as the world oppresses us, as the world attacks us, as the world persecutes his people, we should look to Christ who when he was condemned, when he was put to death, he did not resist. And therefore, we trust in our Lord God Almighty to bring us through to the end of that glorious day when we will be with him for all eternity. For the unrighteous rich, as as James writes here, those who are self-indulgent, those who are hoarding wealth to themselves, they are warned that misery is to come the great day of judgment before Jesus. And I would say if you find yourself here this morning and you're the unrighteous rich, know this, that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can save you from the misery of the day of judgment. In Mark chapter 10, there was a rich man, a young ruler who came to Jesus to follow him. And it says this, if you're an unrighteous rich person this morning, here's some hope for you. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And that young, rich, wealthy man who said he wanted to follow Christ, walked away to not give up his wealth because it was such a value to him. If you find yourself this morning as an unrighteous, rich person, know this, money and wealth will never bring you eternal joy or hope. Only Jesus will. If you find yourself, maybe you're saying, hey, I'm not rich, but I desire rich and wealth so much. Money and wealth will never, ever bring you eternal security. Only Jesus Christ will. Money and wealth will never save you. Only Jesus will. Jesus Christ is to be, as we were singing, our only hope, our only eternal joy, our only security in life. Again, think of what you are pursuing. Maybe it's under the false lie of security for the rest of your life and for your children's life and on and on. Jesus is your security, not the things of this world, not the wisdom of the world. And for all Christians, all believers who are here, who hear my voice this morning, both rich and poor, Guard your heart from the pursuit of wealth and be a good steward of all that the Lord has entrusted to you. Reject the pursuit of pleasure in this world and pursue Jesus. Your treasure is not on this earth. You're not going to be here that long. Again, there's an inheritance in heaven waiting for you. It's not going anywhere. 
God is preparing it for you, and it's with Jesus for eternity. It's not just, as, as heaven described, the streets of gold. It's not just having those things. It's having Jesus Christ for eternity. Your wealth and riches are to be found in knowing Christ and His Holy Spirit living in you and the spiritual blessings that you have. The last text is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Paul writes to Timothy, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves. You want to know what it means when Jesus says store up treasures for yourself in heaven? I find that fascinating that many Christians have asked me, well, what does that mean? Well, it tells you right here as Paul tells it to Timothy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Man, the Word of God is such a blessing to us. Do you see what we miss when we are not in it? Do you see what it happens when we don't gather together for the preaching of the word, when we don't gather to study and read it together, to pray according to the will of God, we miss wonderful treasures of truth like this. I want to store up treasures in heaven. How do I do that? First Timothy 6 says, do the, oh, now I know. This is what I should pursue. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, specifically verse 10, after we're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, it says that you are created to do good works. Not to save you. Jesus Christ is the only one who saves through faith alone in Him. But after salvation, you're to follow Him all the days of your life, doing good works, storing up treasures in heaven, serving one another, giving of what you have, and therefore glorifying God in all of it. So again, whatever you have, it's not yours. God owns it all. He's entrusted you with so much for a certain amount of time and the expectation of all of you who count yourself as a believer is you will give an account of what you've done with it. Will the Lord see that you have been faithful to be a good steward? That is the question. And for all who are far off, your trust must be in Jesus or you will find yourself put out on the day of judgment, the wrath of God the Father for all eternity. Let us pray together. Father, our desire, at least I pray our desire this morning, is that we would not pursue the pleasures and things of this world. And that for many here, this text and the preaching of your word is very convicting. And Father, I say thank you. That is a good place to be. Convicted of our sins and sinful heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray now and ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move us in repentance of our sins. That we would turn from them that we would seek 
the kingdom of God and your righteousness and all these things would be added to us. We desire in our hearts to please you, to be found faithful of what you've given us. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, you'd reveal to us, the believers this morning, what it is that we're holding tightly to, clinging to, that you are directing us to get rid of, to give away, to bless others, to meet those needs. And Father, for all who have come to this place today, who have rejected you, and today is the day that you convicted them of their sins. You've shown them Jesus Christ, crucified, risen again for salvation. Would you give them the faith to believe and be saved this morning? Adopt them into your kingdom. Give them the joy and hope that is eternal and ever-growing and only comes from you. Father, as we sing, take my life and let it be, that is our desire, that we would be a people who are seeking you, who knows all, owns all, has created all, and is the one that can take our life and move it and mold it and shape it and direct it for your glory. We praise you, Jesus. Amen.